one of the things that we do every year, we try to remember to do every year, we do remember to stop and think about the sanctity of, of Human Life Sunday. And there's another thing that, we, that we, we always should remember, and as we have a national holiday this week, and, and it's, to, it's to think through carefully and to be sober-minded about the struggle that we've had in our nation over inequity, over race. And it's also part of our heritage and something that Christian people should think deeply about. And Am I right? And uh, so uh, one of the things that I do is I uh, often on that Monday will spend some time reading the biography of somebody that was a part of that struggle uh, and acted courageously. And, and uh, we, we, so let me just pause and pray about that now before we look to the Bible and uh, our study of the Revelation. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for our nation. So much of what we read in our history books is honorable and good, and, and, and uh, even, Lord, uh, you've raised up missionaries that have gone around the world and so many wonderful things. It would be easy for us to ignore things that we did that were wrong and that weren't just and they weren't right and they weren't fair. And I pray that you give us a tender heart and listening ears to others who've gone through circumstances that we might not have gone through and make us sensitive that way, I pray, and tenderhearted, especially in a time when there's so much shouting at one another, so much acrimony, so much uh, hatred and, and uh, conflict. I pray, Lord, that the power of the gospel, the love of God, be so, would be so powerful in Christians that people that look on that aren't Christians yet would see the love of Christ in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's what I've, one of the things I've noticed. I mentioned this to you before, and I want to mention it again, and, and I think it's profound. I think it's important. Uh, and in over 40 years of being a pastor, here's what one of the things I've noticed is that when you go through trouble, when people go through trouble, they move closer to the Lord or they move farther away from the Lord but they don't usually sit still. When people go through tribulation, they call out to the Lord or they cry out against the Lord. And we'll see that today as we're studying through this amazing, the last book of the Bible is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's a special kind of literature that's just shocking to read. And I'll tell you, you know, quite honestly, this is a very hard text today. Um, it, it warns of something very frightening something very difficult. Sometimes when you go through the loss of a job or you go through financial hardship, or God forbid if you go through a divorce or difficulty with a child or, or the illness or God forbid the death of a child or the death of a parent or just difficulty with mental illness or discouragement or anxiety or depression or a financial reversal, it can turn you away from the Lord. You can decide that you will walk away from the Lord. Or you can decide that you will go toward the Lord, that you explore the things of the Lord, that you will be closer to the Lord. In the Revelation, in the, in, the, in the Revelation, as we're preaching through the book of Revelation, we have arrived at chapter 9. And if, you, if you're new, you want to go back and kind of catch up, it would be interesting to do. And in Revelation, you have a series of four major visions of Jesus. And this is a major one here. And it's a vision of judgments that are going to fall out upon the earth in a period of time in the future, and it's describing that. It's sometimes called the tribulation. Part of it is called the great tribulation, sometimes called the 
time of Jacob's trouble. But this is what's being described now in chapters 8 uh, through 18. Or sorry, I'm sorry, chapter 6 through 18 ends in chapter 19. You really have a description of a period of time that's coming upon the earth. And it's a time of judgment when God is allowing judgment to come on the earth. And what you're going to see, in the, the Bible says that in the future there's going to be a time of judgment on the earth before the return of Christ in power and great glory to establish his kingdom and to judge the, the living and the dead. And the, the Bible teaches this very plainly and repeatedly in a lot of different places, but it's very stark here. And, it, and it's described in a series of judgments, the three series of seven judgments. The seven seals open up, and when the seventh seal judgment open, uh, opens up, it's like the title deed to the earth unrolls, and when things are unrolled, when that when that uh, scroll is opened in heaven, things happen on earth. And the things that are happening on earth in that seven-year period of time are judgments. And, and there are seven seals. And when the seventh seal is opened, it's as if there are seven judgments within that. And they're called trumpet judgments. Then you have this picture of the angel standing before the throne. And when a trumpet sounds, things happen on the earth. And we've been through the first four of those trumpets there in chapter 8. But we have two more in chapter 9. And seventh one is, in, is actually in chapter 11. But the three different trumpet judgments that are given here in chapter 9 are also called woes. And we'll see the, first, uh, chapter, uh, the, the seventh is in chapter 11. But the two that are in chapter 9 are the first of the three, first two of three woes. I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, hey, pastor, you lost me. And just remember, it's, it's a little bit, I hate to tell you this, but it's a little bit like algebra class. You have to keep, and this is all that I know about algebra, by the way. You have to keep coming back and paying attention. We'll, co we'll cover it again, and it will it'll become a part of the working capital of your brain. Okay, I get this. The point is here is that you're going to see, and a little child reading this would see it. And that is, is what's happening good or bad? It's very bad. Has anything like this ever happened in the history of the world before? No way on this scale. Even a child would say, is this good or bad? It's bad. And, and, and is there any hint in the text about, okay, what should we do? Because we do see that this bad thing is coming. And, and there is a, not only a hint, there's a direct implication in the text. We'll see it. It's, it's a little like this. Uh, are you like I am? Do you like movies with a happy ending? Raise your hand if you like movies with a happy ending. All right. Every once in a while I watch a movie that's like just really bad. But, but usually a happy ending. But you notice that movies with a happy ending aren't happy throughout. They have hard chapters in the middle. They, the, the person that, you, you know, the protagonist gets in trouble. We're in the middle of a really, of a story that's going to end incredibly well, better than any story ever ended in the history of the world. It ends well. But in between, some people don't make it to the end, and so it doesn't end well for them. And this is, a, Eddie, what you're saying, I think you picked up, I like to think you picked up on that out of my message. You want to be on the winning side. That was really smart of you. It's like, there is a God, his son is Jesus, he's coming back someday, and those who humble themselves and they follow him, they're on the winning side. It's that simple, it really is. But what's going to happen is when we begin to see bad things happen, or when people have bad things happen in life, it's really easy to not move toward the Lord, but to move away from the Lord. And when that happens, what we're going to see is sometimes when you get used to moving away from the Lord, it's really hard to ever move toward the Lord again. Now, now we're going to read, read the text here, but, um, but again, uh, just to review, the judgments in Revelation chapter 8 ends with an, a with an eagle or an angel crying, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
warning of three woes. They're the fifth, sixth, and seventh judgments. In chapter 8, we have the seven seals open. I'm reviewing now. And within it are the seven trumpet judgments. With the first four trumpet judgments, great harm comes to the earth. In chapter 9, which is our text today, we have the fifth and sixth trumpet judgments. The last trumpet judgment will be in chapter 11. The last three trumpet judgments will move from the earth to the people of the earth. With demonic intensity, they're called three woes. And I warn you, this is terrifying. And before we read it, just watch for this. If you think about it, what happens is you have a series of disasters that are going to come. The Bible says that a great disasters are going to cover the earth in the future. That's just what the scriptures teach. And, and the first wave is human, human against human. And the second wave is like, looks like natural disasters in the earth. But the third wave, and we get into that today, is, uh, is supernatural things that are happening all, again, in disaster. And you'll see two horrifying waves of judgment or disaster in our text today. I'm going to read it here in just a second, but I just want to say this to you. You're thinking, maybe you're thinking right now, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought, Jesus, I thought Jesus was meek and mild. I thought God was kind and loving and merciful. Why do we have this in, in the Bible? If God is kind... Why wouldn't he stop judgment like this from happening? Well, he couldn't be just then if he didn't judge sin. And he wouldn't be good if he didn't warn us over and over again about what was going to happen. And so maybe for some, for some of you today that are watching online, some of you today that are here in the balcony or on, or on the main floor, this may come back to your mind someday. You were warned. A pastor opened the Bible, the Word of God, and read the warnings that Jesus gave through John in a miraculous way. You, you've been warned, you know. So now, having said that, let's just read this. And I, I warn you, it's, it's just sad to hear. Chapter 9, Revelation. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were allowed to torment them, these people, for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. In all these days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. Their teeth like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle and they have tails and stings like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months was in their tails and they have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit his name in hebrew is abaddon and in greek apollyon and the first woe is past behold two woes are still to come now the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year, 
were released to kill a third of mankind. And the number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. This is how I saw the horses in my vision. Those who rode them, they wore breastplates of the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails like serpents with heads, by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now, now notice this verse, that God is in control of this. God is in control. Verse 1, the angels sounded the trumpet, and then the judgment came. Verse 1, the, angel, the fallen angel was given the key, he, there's a star, called a star, but called he, he was given the key to the bottomless pit. He didn't take it, he was, it was given to him. God is in control of all of this. In verse 3, the locusts were given power. In verse 4, they were commanded not to harm. In verse 5, they were, they were not given authority to kill some. In verse 13, the sixth judgment comes only after the angel sounds the trumpet. God is in control of all of this. And verse 14, he releases the four angels who are bound. In verse 15, the four angels that God had prepared. This is what we call in Christian theology, the sovereignty of God, that he is in control of everything. Keep in mind, in hard times, in difficulty, in disaster, in tribulation, that God is in control, that God is sovereign in, in all things. I would suggest as your pastor, as a teacher of the Bible, that one of the things that you do in your Christian life is that you take a deep dive into the sovereignty of God, which is on every page of the Bible and a great comfort to you. Logan, a new convert, got, he, that was baptized a week, two weeks ago, Logan, he lost his job. It was interesting to hear how he, I noticed right away how he said it. He, he said, I lost my job. And then almost in the next breath, he said, God's doing something. I thought, wow, that was interesting that he would have the Holy Spirit in him they would say, you know, it wasn't like, wow, I followed the Lord, and now I don't have a job. He said, I lost my job. God must be doing something. And then this week he was in the, uh, Logan, are you here? Is, is it? Yeah, hey, Logan. With the mask, I didn't recognize you. I, I, I'm not going to make you the subject of all my sermons, <laughs> and I don't have permission to tell this, but I, I think I'm in firm territory. Logan came in to make some copies to send because he has a job uh, prospect in his hometown, and a good one. And I thought it was just sweet to hear him talk about it like that's what a person who has the Holy Spirit living in them, that's how they would talk about it. They wouldn't just say, what's God doing? Why is he hating? You might, you might say that. But you would land that, okay, God, I know you're in control. I'm going to trust you. So that's what you have here, even in this disaster. Now, again, two huge waves of judgment. The first woe, or the fifth trumpet, is in chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. We just read it. And in this, millions are tormented. A star falls from heaven, but it's called he. And he's given the key to the bottomless pit. This could be a powerful angel, or it could be Satan himself. The bottomless pit in the Bible is also known as the abyss. It's a place where some of the fallen angels and demons are confined after the fall of Satan. 
and his demons, he was given the key to this bottomless pit or this abyss. This abyss, this bottomless pit, is mentioned three more times in this chapter, four more times in Revelation. It's not to be confused with a lake of fire, the final end of Satan. It, 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 the Bible teaches over and over again that Satan has fallen. That's why we think this he, who's this star, who's fallen and has given the keys to the bottomless pit and releases demons on the earth, is Satan. In the, just to be really plain, so what we're saying is, what this passage is teaching is that in the tribulations, Satan, the one who's fallen, or, a, or a, 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 a mighty, powerful, angelic, demonic leader, is given the keys to the bottomless pit. And so you have angels and demons that are fallen, and then you have demons in the abyss, and all hell is literally pouring out on the earth during this time. And so in Isaiah and in Ezekiel in the Bible, many Bible students see a, a poetic allusion to the fall of Satan in the descriptions in Isaiah chapter 14 or in Ezekiel chapter 28. Notes for this will be online later today if I go too fast. But the descriptions in these passages of Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, most Bible scholars believe are one of those dual fulfillment prophecies with an immediate human fulfillment and, a, and an ultimate divine fulfillment, and they describe the fall of Satan. In other words, Satan is one who has fallen. We know this also because Jesus, when he was encouraging the 70, he sent them out and said, you have authority over demons. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This comes from the mouth of Jesus. So Satan is a fallen angel. When Jesus was casting demons out of the, uh, the, the uh, uh, Gadarene demoniac, the, the demon-possessed man from Gadara, the demon-possessed man, the, 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 the demons begged, don't send us into the abyss. That was in Luke chapter 8 and verse 31. I'm establishing this, that Satan is a fallen angel and that demons are in the abyss. And so what's going to happen during the tribulation period is God is going to choose to allow Satan to have the keys to the abyss or Satan to have control of a demon who has the keys to the abyss and, and demons are going to pour out upon the earth. And this is what's described here. Jude said, the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of that great day. Peter said it, God will not spare the angels. In 2 Peter 2, 4, God will not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So what I'm getting at is if you study all of the Bible together and you collate all of the material about demons and angels, what you see is very consistent that the third of the angels have fallen. That means millions of angels are demons and that there's going to come a time when God is going to allow demons to spill out on the earth and torment people. And this will be a part of the end of the, the world, if you will, the program of God. So these creatures from the pit torment men you see this in verses 3 through 5. Smoke hit his creatures, pour out of the smoke from the pit, and they physically, spiritually torment people, the ones who are not followers of Jesus, who have the seal of God on them. And they're caught in a demonic crossfire. So Satan, or a demonic being who's fallen, gives the keys to the bottomless pit where demons have been straining at their chains for untold centuries. They unleash their fury upon the earth and its inhabitants. Do you get this? If this is true... And if the Bible is true, this is true. If the Jesus of the Bible you believe in is the Son of God, if the God described in the Bible is the creator of the world, then the end of the world is as it's described here. This is gospel truth. Then it's really simple. A child could see, okay, I want to be on the, on the winning side. I want to be on the Jesus side. 
I want to go to God, not away from him. I don't want to, I don't want to go through this uh, period of time. Uh, Mark Hitchcock, who's a really faithful writer, a prophetic writer, a very thoughtful one, not given to sensationalism, not given to speculation, but a very good student of Bible prophecy, says this about this passage. Add to this the fact that in Revelation 12, Satan has fallen, hosts are cast down from heaven to earth. So you get it? Satan and his host, demons, cast down to earth, and then the, 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 the abyss is open for demons to spill out of the abyss on the earth. So demons from above and below converge on the earth. This is bad. Hitchcock says, add to this the fact, in Revelation 12, Satan and his fallen host are cast down from heaven to earth. The earth will be caught in a demonic crossfire as Satan and the fallen angels are cast from the atmospheric and divine heavens above down to earth. And the demons from the abyss below are dredged up to the earth and the earth will literally be teeming with swarms of dreadful demonic beings. It will be an Auschwitz-like type of experience for those who must endure it. The diabolical forces from both heaven and hell will be unleashed to practice their unimaginable atrocities upon mankind. Revelation 9 reveals that in the last days the earth will be invaded by a force of aliens unlike anything man could ever concoct with a special effects lab. And if you're here today and you're doubting, it would be easy to doubt this. Like, I've never seen anything like this. This seems so bizarre. Can I just appeal to you in this? How do you explain the great evil upon the earth? How do you explain? I mean, you understand, I like, I like inspirational writing, happy stories, things for the good. I'm that way. I just kind of wired like that. But, but all the stories don't end like that in the world. And all people don't behave like that. How do you describe the incredible evil that is loose upon the earth? The Bible describes it very well. The Bible describes that there are fallen angels that are driving that, that human beings made in the image of God are fallen and have spiraled away from God and need to be redeemed back to God, and they're capable of great evil. And that is, in other words, nothing happens in the world that should surprise a, a, a Christian who understands his Bible. And if this kind of stuff wasn't in the Bible, it wouldn't be true to life, now would it? So here you have... The reaction of the people on earth in verse 6, notice, the people seek death and can't find it. They long to die, but death will flee from them. Why would God let people be so hurt that they would, they would want to die, but he wouldn't let them die? Think about that. What if you were a believer and you had a loved one that was in this time that you wanted to come to God? Would you want God to just kill them right away? Or would you want God to warn them? You know, if it came right down to it, you'd say, even if it was bad, God, do what you have to do to help them to understand they don't have to go to hell forever and suffer. Often when a parent of a child, a child strays away from the Lord, they'll pray, bring him back, Lord, bring him back. And then they'll go to another level of prayer. Often they'll say, God, whatever you have to do to bring him back, bring him back. And then sometimes God allows great, I remember a boy, a precious boy, he strayed away from the Lord. And, and his parents began to pray, and he didn't come back to the Lord. And then they began to pray, God, whatever you need to do, God, just bring him back. And he had a terrible motorcycle accident. was injured in a terrible way. He came back to the Lord. So was the motorcycle accident good or bad? Well, it was bad, but God used it for good. This is what I believe you have here. God is saying, I'm putting it in my word, and I warned you over and over again that things are going to get horrifying on the earth. Please follow me, and the end will be happy. And then even people there, many can still come to faith. 
and millions will. And there are evangelists working, and then he's allowing it, and they can tell it's from God. It's like, this is a, this is a severe mercy. So you have these creatures described in verses 10, uh, 7 through 10. They're terrifyingly grotesque in appearance. And again, even a child, if we don't decode all of this, even a child reading this is like, these are bad creatures that are hurting people. They, they're like horses, crowns like gold, faces like men, hair like women, teeth like lions, body armor. They move like chariots in a loud, intimidating noise. They have tails like scorpions. Their heads have crowns like God. Their faces are like men. Their hair is like women. Their teeth are like lions. Their breastplates are like iron. Their wings are like chariots. Their tails are like scorpions. These are just horrifying, demonic creatures. Their leader, the Bible says in verse 11, is Abaddon, or Apollyon, or the, or the English name Destroyer. This is obviously, they're led by, they're under the authority of Satan. And I want to tell you something. If you insist, listen, if you insist, if one were to insist on going their own way, doing their own thing, being their own boss, they would not eventually be under their own authority. They would fall under the authority of the evil one. You have the choice of being under the authority of God or under the authority of the evil one. And if you think you're making all your own choices in rebellion against God, you really are deceived and you're under the authority of the evil one. If you do not yield to God, you will eventually be under the power of one who wants to steal and kill and destroy, who's a liar and a murderer and a thief and a tormentor. And hell, hell is your destiny. So think about that. This is the warning of the Bible. Then you have a second woe or the sixth trumpet described in verses 13 through 21 where billions die. He releases four angels. They're probably demons. Unfallen angels are never said to be bound. And these were bound, so they're probably demons. As in Job, demons are under God's control. These four demons, long bound, are released to kill, and the demonic hordes are eager to inflict pain, spiritual agony upon men and women on earth. This is not a human force. It's a supernatural force, 200 million strong. Do the math. So the army is described in verses 17 through 19, red, blue, yellow breastplates, horses with heads like lions, out of their mouths, fire, smoke, brimstone. A third of mankind is killed. Their colors may be symbolic of the gases and fires of hell, fire, smoke, brimstone. But just to read it, again, a child reading that would say, this is horrifying. This is bad. These people who rebel against God are in the, are in the greatest jeopardy. Do we understand every symbolic possibility? I don't. But what I do understand puts the fear of God in me. And people today need the fear of God. Isn't it interesting in our culture, anxiety is going up while respect for God is going down? I wonder what would happen if once again, fear of God went up, would anxiety over other things go down? I think it would. Listen, this is important. You, 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 could, you, you may be here today and you're going to end up in heaven or in hell based on what you do uh, with what I'm telling you. So we understand people have an opportunity to repent. You have an opportunity to repent, meaning you have an opportunity to change your mind about running your own life or letting God run your life. You have an opportunity to change your mind about what you're going to live for. You have an opportunity to say, I'm sorry to God for the things that you know that you've done that are wrong. Right now, you have a, you, listen, you have that opportunity. And it's a, a small window. You don't know how long. You should, none of us know if we get home today. And, and this, is the, this is what the scriptures are, are, this is why the scriptures are warning us in such a, a stark way. Then you have the reaction of the survivors in verses 20 and 21. Look at this. 
What, how did they react after all of this? What does the Bible say they do? They refuse to what? Yeah, well, why? What does God have to do to convince them that rebellion against him would be the worst kind of folly forever? Why would people do this? Why would people still resist God when they know that God is able to reward them forever in the eternal bliss of heaven or allow them to be tortured by Satan in hell forever? Why would they not repent at that point? Why wouldn't they, okay, I give up. I, you were right. I was wrong. I yield. I, I, I'm sorry. Why would that be? What's the answer to that? Can I ask you this? What scares you? Satan would love to distract you and get you to fear the wrong things, like men or pop, unpopularity or fear poverty or fear aging or fear loneliness. But those who fear God, this is, these are the ones, that's, that's the beginning of wisdom is to fear God. And the fear, listen, the fear the progressive bondage of our own sinful choices. When, when we begin to make sinful choices, you, you guys have enough experience with sin like I do to know that it gets harder not to, re, it's get harder to resist those sinful choices. And after a while, you're really not in it free. You're in bondage to those things that you can't stop doing. And that's why I say this passage, listen to verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues didn't repent. Of their works and their hands are giving up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone, which cannot see and cannot hear and cannot walk. They're serving gods that are obviously false gods. Neither did they repent of their murders and sorceries and sexual immorality. Isn't that interesting? What a list. That's the same list that Satan has been using on people forever. It's the same today. What is it that people choose instead of God? A little money, a little sex, a little power. A little playing around with the idols of the heart. It's the same old, same old. It's the same thing people do. And it still kills people and drags them into hell. It's the same stuff. But to turn from that and, to keep, and for a believer to keep turning, there are five representative sins listed. False religion or false gods. Disregard for human life. Isn't that interesting? Drug and alcohol addiction. Sorceries, drugs, drunkenness. Sexual immorality, confusion, perversion. There's a way free from all of that. And dishonesty or crime or theft. But they hardened their hearts. The Bible says, 1 Timothy 4, 2, their conscience were seared with a hot iron. 1 Thessalonians 2, 5 through 11 talks about a time, this time, when it says people will be given over to deception. And here's what I'm trying to say. Answer to the question, why don't people repent when it seems so obvious they should repent? And that is because there's not, not only is God at work during this time, but Satan is at work during this time. So like during COVID, have you noticed this? Satan has been at work. Yes, he has. Have you ever noticed this? God has been at work. God has been at work. And Satan has been at work. And during this time, God is going to unleash on the earth 144,000 young Jewish evangelists going around the world winning multitudes to Christ and, and, and prophets. And, but also Satan is going to release demons. There's going to be this grand Conflict, but it's happening now in the in the heavenlies, in the in the realm we, we don't see as easily. But this during this time, Satan is going to send deception on people. If you read First Thessalonians two this afternoon, verses five through eleven, you see it's describing this time, and it's saying there will be spiritual deception during this time. It's like, hey, hey, listen, pay attention, wake up! Don't you see what's going on? This might be your last chance. This might be the last time that you hear the gospel. 
In other words, here's the way, this is my sermon title, Sin Makes You Stupid. Can you say amen to that? Or can you say, oh, me to that? Oh, me. Sin makes you stupid. You ever, Lois and I, I probably shouldn't confess this, but Lois and I have a thing. There's a television program that we cannot not watch together. (laughs) It's a crime drama, which we probably shouldn't even watch. But when it's on, it's like, you can't look away. The irony is, it's usually one mate killing the other. Lost. why do we like that? Why do we watch that? Dateline. It's like, is Dateline on tonight? Hurry home. Who, he killed her. She killed him. But, and they, and and when, when you watch that, it's like, what were they thinking? What were they thinking? Answer, they weren't thinking. Because, say it. Sin makes you stupid. You think I just people on TV? In the, in the Bible, Samson and Delilah. Remember that as a mate? When you were a kid, did you go, what in the world was this man thinking? Did you think that? Did you, did you read that story? Here's a short Cliff Notes version. Samson meets Delilah. She is not a good girl. Delilah talks with the Philistines who are Samson's enemies. And the Philistines say, we'll give you a lot of money if you tell us the secret to his strength. So she's like petting him, you know, like in the movie, like, oh, Samson, you know, and she's being nice. She Tell us the secret of your strength. And he likes playing with her. He lies to her. So then when she, when she does to him what he said, lied to her, then the Philistines come in. Remember this? And because the, they want to kill him, put his eyes out and have him serve him. And then he wakes up and he, you know, he's kind of playing with her. He's kind of toying with her. He wakes up and he kills Philistines. And then she does it again. When I was a, I was a kid, I wasn't that smart. Yeah, I'm still not that smart. But when I was a kid, I was like, when they told that story, I'm like, what was he thinking? How many times would Delilah get to ask you the secret of your strength if you were Samson? I would be like, you get one strike and you're out because you're a dangerous girl. You can't be in my life anymore. Do you know how many times that he went back to that until finally he caves in and he tells her the secret of his strength? Anybody know? I think it was four. I think it was four. I think I'm right. You can check me out on that. And it says in Judges 16, 15, how can you say you love me when your heart is not with me, Delilah says. And you've mocked me these three times. So this is the fourth time, right? And you've not told me where your great strength lies. And she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him his soul was vexed to death. (laughs) Yeah. And he told her all his heart. Sin makes you stupid until you like why did i do that because sin is that way you think that you're in control of the sin after a while the sin's in control of you and what happens to samson the philistines finally come upon him and they torture him and they gouge out his eyes and they make us laughing stock of him and they make him their servant like an animal and he commits suicide there's a happy little story for you why did, why did that end that way? Because sin makes you stupid. And you're not different than Samson, and I'm not even these people the same way. Why did they not repent? Because sin had made them stupid and stubborn and slaves and made them suffer forever. And so Jesus is coming in judgment. Have you got that? No, <laughs> you understood. Listen to Jude 15 and 23. Jude 1, 15 is only one chapter in Jude. Behold, the Lord comes. This is what the Bible says. Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, 
to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungod which godly sinners have spoken against them save them with fear pull them from the fire hate the garment defiled by the flesh so my question to you is will you move toward the lord this morning or, or will you move away covid has and this time of unrest and and terrible political acrimony and hatred god has been at work during this time but satan has is been at work so repent and be saved or return to god over and over again believers listen if you're a believer you should be sober you should not trifle you should not say you love the lord but really be in love with this world and with sin you should move toward god and not away from him when trouble and tribulation come and if you're an unbeliever you have been warned flee from the wrath to come remember at the beginning of the message i said when trouble comes people move closer to god or they move further away remember that here's something more when trouble comes people move into more and worse sin or they move into deeper repentance and freedom from sin when trouble comes people either like when we sin it messes us up and it makes us a slave and it makes us stupid and to fix it what do we often do more sin Something has to break that cycle, and a person wakes up, no, no, I will follow Jesus. I will believe in Jesus. I will repent of my sin. I'll turn away from sin. Turning to God is turning away from sin. And please, Lord, have you ever had a, a bad nightmare? You, you talked about yours. I have, too. A really, really bad nightmare. It was horrible and horrifying. And then you thought, God, please don't let this be true. Please let me wake up. I want to wake up, and I want this not to be true. This is a little bit what's happening here. This book has a happy ending. It's a gloriously happy ending. But you have to make it to the end of this book to enjoy it. You can't fall under the God, judgment of God first. So go and win your friends and tell them about Jesus. Let them get mad. Don't worry about that. Wake people up. Warn them that they're going to face the judgment of God. Know that one day you have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as the scriptures say, to give an account for the works that we've done in our body. God, help us to have a happy ending. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? And I'd like for those that are going to come and, and be here to pray with those who are going to come after church to come while I pray. So what I'm saying right now is we're going home. It's not noon yet, but we're, we're headed home and some of you, maybe it'd be really good for you to come forward and not, not leave and talk to one of these that's going to be standing right here and say, I need to follow Jesus or help me because I want to follow the Lord. And they could pray with you and you could leave a follower of Jesus today. And some of you, you've been kind of straying and you're, you've been, you've been, can I say it without, you've been stupid. And you go, oh my God, help me to be sober and to be devout and to be serious about the things of the Lord. And maybe you'd want to come and have somebody pray with you. So who, who's praying today? Who's coming? Some are coming. Uh, come and stand right here. Would you think you could? It's just so people can look at you. So the Havistos, Ed over here, they'd love to pray with you. Um, and if you need somebody to pray with you, share your heart. Then when the music starts after I get done praying, just feel free to come and talk with them. And Eddie, we're so happy for you today. We're here for you, and I know Daniel will be here for you to help you to grow in the Lord. It's a very sweet day, and so we trust that you will grow strong in the Lord and uh, follow him all the days of your life.
So glad to see what you did today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how thankful we are, Lord, that even though some parts of the Bible are really scary, that you are honest with us about what's going to happen and about what's happening in our world. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to enjoy the happy ending that you've written for those who fear you. And I pray that you'd work even today, right now, with those who are here, that you'd nudge them, Godward, help people follow you, help young people live for you, help discouraged older people come back to you, help unbelievers repent and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.